Our scripture reading today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Hear these words from Colossians chapter 3 and 4. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched in order to please them, but wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Andrew's manuscript is still up here from last week, so if you hear me start sharing a story about Costco, uh, just flag me down. I've gone off the rails. <laughs> I was grateful for Andrew's words last week on our relationship with money, and for those of you who don't know or need a reminder, throughout the month of October, we've been in a series on generosity, and we've been looking at how we understand our relationship with money and how that needs to be shaped according to our faith. As Christians, we need to be aware of how the kingdoms of the world view money, but we are also called to frame our relationship with money through the lens of the kingdom of God. And John Wesley, who I mentioned earlier, who's the founder of our Methodist movement that became our denomination, he had three rules in his sermon, the use of money, on how disciples should use their money. And the rules are this, first is gain all you can, the second is save all you can. And the third, give all you can. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these three rules. All of this is going to culminate on October 29th when we will have the opportunity to turn in commitment cards here at the altar. And these will be estimates of giving for the upcoming year. These will be uh, help us form our ministry plan for the upcoming year. And uh, the, the theme of this year is Bright Hope for Tomorrow. We are putting trust in the future that God is forming for us. But we're just focusing on that first rule today. Gain all you can. And John Wesley instructed Methodists to earn all they could by working hard and being disciplined and diligent, working with integrity. Uh, but this next part was essential. He said that Christians need to be focused on how they are earning as well. We should earn all we can, he said, quote, without paying more for it than what it's worth. And what did he mean by that? Well, he meant we should gain all we can without hurting our health, we should gain all we can without hurting our mind, and most importantly, we should gain all we can without hurting our neighbors. What John Wesley was getting at is that when it comes to earning all we can, those seeking the kingdom of God play by a different set of rules than the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, gaining all you can means getting money and profit by any means necessary. It tells us we should burn ourselves out and work overtime. It tells us that we never have enough and we always need more and more and more. And it tells us that our neighbors need to look out for themselves. Your job is to look out for number one and they need to figure it out. The kingdoms of the world ask one question before all others, which is how much? But in the kingdom of God, all this gets flipped 
on its head. When we're talking about earning, the kingdom of God says the main question isn't how much, it's how. How are you gaining these things? Your job is not exempt from the call to discipleship. The way that you earn your money is a part of your faith. And we need to hear this in the United States because we're very good at compartmentalizing the different parts of our lives. We have our work life and our home life and our church life and our social life and this friend group and that friend group. And most of the time, those things can stay separate and that's okay. But what John Wesley is telling us is that these separations don't exist in quite the same way when it comes to our faith. If you aren't a Christian, he says, do whatever you want. But if you are a Christian, you have given your life to Christ and you've been born again and there is no part of your life No category that does not belong to God. Jesus is giving a wake-up call. My job and my bank account aren't exempt from the call to discipleship. When I walk into my office, I don't get to leave my faith at the door. And I'll be honest with you, if you take your faith into the workplace, you can anticipate that there will be tension. And let me give you an example of what this might look like uh, About 50 years ago, the Ford Motor Company had a vision for a new car that was going to revolutionize the industry, and this car was called the Ford Pinto. Has anyone here of the Ford Pinto? Yeah. It was set to come out in 1971. It was a new car that weighed less than 2,000 pounds and would cost less than $2,000. These were expected to sell very well, but there was a problem. When they crash-tested prototype vehicles for the Ford Pinto, they found that even with minor crashes, and we're talking 20 mile per hour, in 100% of cases, the gas tank was ruptured and it doused the bottom of the vehicle in gasoline, greatly increasing the chance of a fire in every single crash. But the deadline for the publicized release was looming, so Ford Motor Company had a decision to make. Should they push ahead and release the vehicle anyway and endanger people's lives, or should they delay the release and lose consumer confidence, do a lengthy remake, and pay the price to ensure people's safety? Well, many of you remember very well what Ford Motor Company decided to do. They chose to move ahead with production, and as a matter of fact, they stuck with that same prototype for the next six years. And why did they do it? They did it because they were trying to earn all they could by any means necessary. They weren't thinking about the how, they were asking how much. They did a cost-benefits analysis and they made a spreadsheet and saw that the cost of the recall and loss in sales would be $137 million. But the cost associated with these anticipated fatalities would be around $50 million. So they would save almost $100 million by allowing people to die in these preventable fires in their cars. It is estimated that over the next few years, around 500 people died by fire from this easily preventable error. In that moment, Ford Motor Company was a kingdom of the world. People to them weren't children of God, they were numbers on a spreadsheet. And here's the hard part about this story, is I am sure that there were plenty of people at Ford Motor Company who identified themselves as Christians who helped make this decision. And they justified this one way or another. Maybe they said people should be more careful when they drive, or it would be the other driver's fault, and they can't make everything perfect. But really, it boils down to this. In that moment, they chose to pursue money over human life. 
Their faith, their call to love their neighbors, was something they left at the door on the way into work and picked up on the way out. And John Wesley is trying to tell us that there is no such exemption. If we aren't loving our neighbors in the way that we earn our living, then we are not fully living as disciples. Well, Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae, and he was warning these people the same thing. These were new followers of Jesus, and they all gathered together and agreed with this idea of loving their neighbors, but there were certain relationships and categories of their life where they left that idea at the door. Prime examples of this are highlighted in our scripture reading today. A man's wife, his children, and his slaves. For male heads of the family, these people were legally considered to be property. For example, if the man's wife wanted to divorce him, she really had almost no way to do so, but men could divorce their wives for any reason with no obligation to pay them anything as a result. And children, too. The kids were legally considered property, and worst of all was slavery. That awful trade that is the darkest form of human greed, the ultimate example of reducing children of God to financial pieces on a spreadsheet. Slaves certainly had no legal rights in Roman society. In Roman life, those who had the power and the money weren't obligated to treat others a certain way by the law, and if it benefited them, it was permissible and even encouraged for them to do whatever they deemed correct and often have no ramifications. Legally, they could cheat on their spouse, sell their children to someone else, or refuse to feed someone who was enslaved in their household. And then they could go to church and sing about loving their neighbors. And they could view those as totally separate from how they treated people at home. But in our scripture reading, Paul is giving them a wake-up call. These relationships are not exempt from the call to discipleship. We don't get to leave our faith at the door. When this part of the letter was read out loud to these Christians gathered in that city, things would have erupted. It would have been shocking because no one would have been surprised to hear the first sentence, wives be subject to your husbands. That was expected at the time, but it would have been unheard of to hear the next call to action, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. They have to submit to you, but now you have to submit to them. And then the next one, children, children obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. This was expected. Of course, children are going to submit to their father. But then the opposite, fathers do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. The message puts it this way, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. They have to submit to you, but you are a steward of their spirit. So you submit to them. Now, both of these would have been surprising, but the final piece would have been the most shocking of all. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. That would have been expected. But then chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. In that society, slaves were considered property through and through. For there to be a call to action that the masters owed these enslaved people just and fair treatment was a complete reversal of the norm. Those Christians who had slaves in their household would have viewed slavery as a separate category from the call to love their neighbor. But Paul is reminding them that there is no part of your life that is exempt from this call to discipleship. Everyone is a child of God, and you must love them. The kingdoms of the world assume a one-way submission, but the kingdom of God assumes mutual submission. They submit to you and you submit to them. As Christians, we have to shape our lives according to this higher standard. 
I love the way that Andy Stanley puts this in his sermons. He, he talks about, you've heard of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But then he has one called the platinum rule. <laughs> he says, we're not just called to treat other people how we want to be treated. We're called to treat other people as Jesus treats us. That's the platinum rule for Christians. That comes from John chapter 13, where Jesus directly says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And there's no part of our lives where we get, we get to leave that commandment at the door. Well, I can hear some of you saying silently from your pews right now, Connor, I hear you, and that sounds good and nice and important, but it's 2023. This is just the way things are set up in our society. Businesses go after money. What is the alternative? What would it look like to love my neighbors while I'm at work? Well, I've got another story to share. Ten years before Ford made this decision about the Ford Pinto, there was another auto company that did the opposite and put their neighbors over making money. In 1959, there was an engineer at Volvo named Niels Bolin, and he had worked on planes before, but now he came and started working on cars, and he made an invention. It was the three-point seatbelt, which is still the design that we use today, and this was revolutionary, and I'm sure Volvo considered they could patent it, they could be the clear industry leader in safety, or they could charge a fortune for other automakers to use this clearly superior design. But instead, Niels Bolin said they shouldn't patent it. He said, this is too important. We're talking about saving people's lives. And so they just shared this design freely with the world. And when Bolin, that inventor, when he died in 2002, this invention had been around 43 years and through his lifetime, they celebrated at his funeral that over one million lives had been saved. One million people had been saved through this one decision of putting people over money. He saw people as children of God, not figures on a spreadsheet. John Wesley calls us to ask, what would the world look like if we viewed how we earned our money through the lens of the kingdom of God? How would all of humanity be transformed if we didn't leave our faith at the door when we went to work? How would God transform the world if we prioritize loving our neighbor and our business decisions instead of holding money over everything? Well, as Christians, we are called to nothing less. When it comes to earning, we are called to earn, work hard, and gain money. But while we're earning, we need to be very intentional about how and not just how much. Jesus reminds us, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Let us pray. Generous God, steward of all life, you are the one who sustains us. And we are reminded that all that we have needed, your hand has provided. Enable us to gain all we can, but as you bless our labors, guard us from harming our health, our minds, and guard us from harming our neighbors. Continue to guide us and shape us to be more like Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit.